0: Hey, everybody. In today's interview, we sat down with Matt Maher to hear all about his story, his new music, and tips he has for worship leaders and worship pastors that want to continue serving for a long time in the church. This was an awesome interview. We loved hearing his thoughts and insight. Enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Loop Live. My name is Matt McCoy. I'm the founder of loopcommunity.com, and I'm the host of the Loop Live show. And today, we've got a very special treat for you. I'm excited about this interview because as a worship leader, this person's songs have influenced me. I've led these songs over and over and over and love them. He's the songwriter of Lord, I Need You, Because He Lives, one of my personal favorites, Throwback a long time ago, Your Grace Is Enough. I remember that one a lot when I was first started leading worship. And uh, so today we have the one and only Matt Maher, artist, songwriter, worship leader, I'm really excited to talk to him about his journey. And so wherever you're watching, if you've got questions for Matt, type them into the comment box. If we get some good questions, we're gonna actually answer them live. So type them into the chat wherever you're watching from and buckle up. Here we go. Let's bring in Matt. What's up, Matt?
1: Hey Matt. That was easy. Yeah.
0: Whoa. <laughs> should I look at you? Wait. Can I look at you this way? I should look at you. hey Matt. Got two Matt. <laughs> two Matt. So where are you coming from to us from? I, uh, when we were setting up, I saw it looked like a studio. Is this like a studio in Nashville somewhere or is this is your house or it, what?
1: Uh This is a, a studio writing space that behind my house that has been in evolution for eight years. So wow. started out. Yeah. So we, we live in East Nashville. Um, kind of the northern part called Inglewood that's I say where hipsters get put out the pasture when they start having kids <laughs> and um we uh the house that we bought there was a a building behind the house that was like a machine shop and so it kind of turned into a detached garage mother with like a guest room for grandparents when they were visiting and then there was kind of a big room for me to write in and recently i just did a renovation and kind of made a a control room um yeah. so uh this it's kind of brand new i'm just it's like it's still can smell the new paint kind of a thing but yeah um yeah that's so a, it's
0: that's it's, a game changer to have a space you can go away from kids you know out of the house and it's not too far yes go in and get no. a cup of coffee come back
1: Yes, about 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 uh, forty feet. So, yeah. that, um, but that separation is really really uh, it is helpful, and it's helpful not just to get away, but it's helpful to step away. Honestly, mm-hmm. in the working process, um, one of the hardest things to do sometimes in the middle of writing a song or trying to flesh out an idea is, you know, to step away uh, to help get ready for dinner. Yeah, Uh, and to trust and to trust that the creative idea is still going to be there after you have to put down your kids for bed. But, um, but it's also a good test of faith in a way, I guess.
0: I, um, so when I was introducing you, I said artist, songwriter, and then worship leader, would you identify, would you call yourself a worship leader?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I think if anyone has a gift of music, I mean, you know, part of being a Christian is being a worshiper. Hmm. And, and I think, um, I think some weeks I look at my kids and they're leading me. Um, but, but I do think that there is something about, uh, recognizing that you have a gift and, uh, you have a proclivity for uh, for gathering people and pointing people in a direction, or facilitating, uh, you know, everyone facing in a direction, and so, and so, I you know, I think that that, I think the context of what you're doing determines how you do it, but I think what you're doing is, you know, it's kind of the same thing.
0: How does that make sense? It totally makes it. Yeah, it's awesome. Can you give us just a little bit about a little of your background? Like, how did you even get started doing mm-hmm. music, leading worship? Yeah.
1: Well, I've been playing music my whole life. I was born and raised in Newfoundland, Canada. When I was 20 years old, my parents got separated. My mother was American, and she moved back to Arizona to be uh, with her parents who had retired in northern Arizona. So she got a job teaching in in the valley, in Phoenix, in the East Valley, which is Tempe, Um, right by Arizona State University. So I switched universities, got accepted into Arizona State, and had to spend a year getting residency. And while I was doing that, I had a cousin my age who was going to Arizona State or U of A in Tucson. But I spent about a month when I first moved hanging out with her and all her friends, and they all went to church. And most of her friends were part of a Catholic charismatic community. And so I kind of hung out with them and, you know, I'd been away from church. I was born and raised Catholic. Um, So to me, just the idea of Christianity in general was crazy. Uh, So, so then the charismatic portion of it didn't seem that crazy, Um, you know, sort of, I guess, in, in, uh, in scope of it all. But by the end of the summer, early into the fall, I was going to church again every week, and there was a very active youth ministry program called Life Teen, which is kind of like Young Life in the Catholic Church. And I started helping out as like a volunteer, and then the music director at the parish heard me play piano and was like, "Hey, we have this youth service on Sunday nights. Do you want to start playing?" And so I said, "Sure." And um, I ended up kind of being part time there for a year and a half and then ended up at a a larger church uh in mace arizona and worked so i worked in local church ministry on and off for my goodness the better part of 15 15 years maybe um 14 15 years and um that's all i did i I just was a music minister at a church so i graduated with a jazz performance degree in 1999. And around the same time, the church hired a new youth minister. And he came from Louisiana and he's like, Hey, I want to start a Bible study and I want you to lead worship. And this was 1999. I was graduated from college. And so I'd had a conversion. I'd given my heart to Christ. I was involved in ministry, but it was, you know, a lot of the music stuff we were playing was pretty liturgical, or I was trying to write songs uh, and to, to play in coffee shops. But then along came this friend of mine who became one of my best friends. And he said this different thing of like, I want you to leave worship. And I'm like, well, what's that? And, and then he sort of described it. And I was like, oh, it was the thing they did at the charismatic prayer meetings. That's what you're talking about. Like the singing of songs and then spontaneous praying that happens in between and, you know, specifically asking for the presence of God, the Holy spirit to do something. To transform hearts to illuminate minds and consciousness like to to convict hearts to the reality of god uh or you know the need for repentance or um you know just a spirit of worship and so i started doing that it was it was a monday night it was a bible study with like 40 kids and i'd wheel a projector across the parking lot of the church into this house and and it was a projector with like the bulb where the bulb was more expensive than the projector. Yep. I remember and that. I, and I, and I had transparencies and, and I needed music. So I went to a Christian bookstore and um, I found a passion CD and um, turns out integrity was sending Paul Balash albums to one of my, one of my mentors who's also a music minister. And so, yeah, I started singing all those songs at that time just like everyone else and and then i heard the music of delirious around 2000 and i think that it was that i was mesomorphous that album that just sort of in it unlocked my imagination to the possibility of oh maybe this is what i'm supposed to be doing because i wanted mm-hmm. to do a film scoring and so that's when the writing piece of it started But I think the first piece of it started was driving around in my car, listening to live worship albums and then trying out the stuff that they used to say in between songs, trying it out on this Monday night Bible study. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I didn't have a band. I didn't have anything. I just had me and a guitar and, you know, 20 to 30 high school students. And um, and that's kind of how I got started.
0: So you answered a little bit of my next question, which is, so what was it that you always thought you'd be doing? Was it being an artist songwriter? You mentioned for a second there that it was a film score, which is interesting.
1: But, yeah. Yeah. Film music was what I wanted to do. <clears throat> I, I, I actually didn't really think I had a, I still don't think I necessarily have a the best voice in the world. It's loud. I know that much. <laughs> I've been, I've been told a lot by people, you have a very loud voice. Um, <laughs> It's like I, I have two volumes. That's it, on and on. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I think for me, I think it was the you know the Malcolm Gladwell principle of the ten thousand hours of mastery. I sang at church three nights a week, and it was in the process of singing these songs over and over and over again that I found my voice, and I I mean that in every sense of the word. I spiritually found my voice. I think I psychologically found my voice. I think emotionally I found my voice and musically. I think I found the place where my voice sounded uh, the best, sounded the sweetest. And it, mm-hmm. it and it's all those things, you know, um, it's not one or the other. It's all of it working together in tandem. And the technique side for some people is like there, some people could be savants. It's just, they just they're doing it unconsciously they're not even thinking about it um and for me it definitely wasn't that i had to really really work at the problems that i had in my singing but eventually um yeah i found my voice and then from then you know i think once you find your voice it starts shaping your songwriting for sure
0: so when did you start writing your own songs
1: You know, it was pretty early on. I mean, honestly, I, when I, I moved in 1995 and I remember 1996, I was trying to write a retreat theme song for the youth group at this church I was at, but it was really bad. And, and, you know, um, the, the guy that I first mentored with, uh, he was much more inspired by like Stephen Curtis Chapman. So a lot of the stuff that he was writing, which is, Stephen Curtis Chapman was amazing, but it's not necessarily like it wasn't worship music. Like the great adventure is a great song, but it's not. And that's what that kind of music was. So the first thing I wrote was this song called better than gold, which was kind of like a really poor attempt at a Stephen Curtis Chapman song. Yeah. Um, Cause I didn't have his voice and it's, I'm not Stephen Curtis Chapman that like what makes his song so great is him. It's the combination of his heart and his voice and his talent, blah, blah, blah. So, 1995 I started trying to write like songs out of my faith. And I think 2000 was the first time I wrote a worship song that felt felt like me. It was more liturgical. It was a song called Love Has Come. And I wrote it for the theme of Advent and Christmas. And it was kind of this Celtic thing, so it had a bit of a river dance flair. Um and it you know, and I think that was kind of the first steps. That was the beginning of it. And, um, and then it's the re- the refinement process. You got to write a lot of bad songs before you write a half decent one.
0: And we actually, we actually have a question that just came up about songwriting yep. and it is, how do you determine when a song is actually finished? And this is actually something that I've experienced too. Cause I, I you know, I write worship stuff and, You can kind of just keep going at it forever and ever, but when is it actually done? Like, when do you stop tweaking lyrics? When do you say, "Let's put this in the books and move on"?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think now they get stopped. That you know, now they stop when people sing them at church because there's a there's a electronic account of it. (laughs) Yeah, you know what I would say is, I mean, this is a great example. Your grace is enough. I wrote that song in in spring of 2003. So next year, it'll be 20 years since I wrote that song. And I didn't record it until August, July or August of 2003. And, uh, or no, it might've been this year. It's a little bit hazy. Uh, At the time I I was going through a, a, a treatment for hepatitis C So I have like, I have like a brain fog over two years of my life. I I don't really remember. (laughs) There's, there's like, there's, there's gaps, but um, I'm pretty sure I wrote that song in the spring of 2003 and then recorded this album. But one of my mentors kind of helped me A&R or choose the songs for the album. And, um, I had written the song and I was singing it at a weekly worship night, but the song at the time, the pre-chorus was the chorus and the chorus was the pre-chorus. So I made a demo of it and it was like, remember, like it was like, great is your faithfulness. Oh God, Jacob, you wrestle with the sinners, restless heart. You leave us past the waters and there's Nothing can't keep us apart. And your grace is enough. And your grace is enough. Like that was the pre-chorus. And then the chorus was, remember, remember your, your people. people. Yeah, remember yeah. your children. Remember your promise, oh, God of salvation. And um, and he just said to me, he goes, look, I think you need to switch those two things. He goes, this is free advice. He said, you can take it or leave it. He said, but if I was you, I would switch those. And I'm like, really? He's like, Matt. You wrote, that's an amazing chorus. He goes, and he goes, I've never heard someone sing Your Grace is Enough in a song. Yeah. That, like, that simply. So, so I switched them. Yeah. And I switched, I switched the melodies. The chord progressions were the same how they were at the time, which the chorus of that song, the chorus used to be a big walk up. And then when, and so that's a great example of like that song was written. Then it was changed. Then it was recorded. Then Chris Tomlin heard it, and then he, him and Ed Cash changed the chords on the chorus. Um, Didn't they change the to, lyrics too? They took out God of Jacob.
0: <clears throat> okay.
1: Uh, yeah, I thought I
0: remember there being something different about the yeah in the verse.
1: Yeah, and it, and it you know I rem <laughs> I remember calling Chris. We only talked two other times, and. I look back now and I'm like, he was incredibly gracious because, you know, I knew, okay, this is a really big deal. Like I, I yeah. have this sense that like, there's a new doorway opening in my life that I'm going to walk through. And, mm-hmm. but I made, you know, he basically said, he goes, Hey, I want to change the verse to Great is your faithfulness. So God, you wrestle with the sinner's heart and take out God of Jacob and wrestle with the sinner's restless heart. And at the time, the reason why I wrote God of Jacob was because I'd been going to a Bible study and talked very specifically about God reveals aspects of his nature, specifically through specific relationships in the Old Testament. So the way he is with Abraham is different than the way he is with Isaac, different than the way he is with Jacob. And so for me, tying that God of Jacob with Paul's encounter with christ and him saying my grace is sufficient for you in your weakness like it was very specific yeah and but chris was like i just think it sings easier (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. so and then i think the changes on the chorus really do like when when i first heard that i was like oh yeah no that really helps and still to this day I, i struggle with maybe it's the film scoring side. I Sometimes I want to put too many chord changes in the song. Yeah. And, and sometimes, a lot of times, less is more.
0: So, I'll tell you, Matt, I have played that song, I can't even tell you how many, probably hundreds of times. I feel like just looking back when I was a teenager leading worship, I maybe have played that song more than you have. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> I don't but know. I've, seriously, I've played it. Yeah, you've probably played every every night you play it, but... I just can't even, but that's probably the song I've played the most as a worship leader, I think. Um, Yeah. And it just had a huge impact, I feel like, on my worship leading. uh, Mm -hmm. It was just, it it was a huge song too, like in the early 2000s. How did you, how did that, how do you get songs that you write? And maybe it's different for you now, but back then when you were a brand new songwriter entering the scene, how do you get songs that you write in front of someone like Chris Tomlin or... How did you get your songs even I, noticed or heard?
1: Yeah, I mean, what I would say is there, I couldn't have orchestrated that uh, mm. if I wanted to. I mean, the, the week we sang it the very first time at my church, so I'd written it six months earlier. The very first time we ever sang it at my church was the weekend that Mike Yacinelli and the staff of Youth Specialties were in town for the National Youth Workers Convention. And they came a week early because they wanted to come see this crazy catholic church they had heard about where there was um it was it was a catholic liturgy um but then there was contemporary music and there was a reverence about the kids and uh you know they were just kind of yeah and so they came to check it out and it and i met tick after we went out to dinner and he was like he walked up to me holding the worship aid because he used to print song sheets you know, all the lyrics he's like dude did you write this song? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, this song's incredible. And I was like, Oh, thanks, man. I mean, I didn't really know. I mean, I was like, I mean, yeah, kind of in a bubble. And so he reached out like four days later and was like, Hey, can you come down to the conference and lead that song at the end of a session? And I was like, sure. And then he called the next day and was like, Hey, I think I'm going to get Tomlin and his band to back you up. Is that okay? And I was like, yeah, I think that's fine. And, um, you know same thing it was this moment of like whoa this is this feels totally foreign but um like i couldn't have planned it um, yeah and 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 i still to this day like that's been my experience like with my music is which just sounds funny because i you know you, you, you strike me like even like, you know, even youth group, you know, being in youth group 20 years ago or, or leading these songs, you know, there was a period like when I gave my heart to Jesus, um, I said no to self-promotion. Uh, that was literally part of the gospel, or at least mm-hmm. the way it was presented to me was it's I've decided to follow Jesus, you know, the cross before me, the world behind me. And, and the world includes the, like, not just the world, but like an obsession with materialism or an obsession with personal gain. And so many of the people that I looked up to in my journey really talked about death of self. So, you know, my advice still to anyone, it sounds crazy is don't get a YouTube page. Don't spend your money on Instagram root yourself in your local church and get lost in the presence of God and do the work, do the hard work of prayer, but also the work of being of as a songwriter. Like it's really hard to work on your craft as a songwriter. If you're constantly obsessed with your numbers mm-hmm. of who's watching, who's looking, how is this happening? Because what I'll say is looking out into the church, when somebody writes a great song, it, it, it has wings built into it.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it just does. Right. It just gets around, you know what I mean? And I think we forget that. And I think there is an element of surrender, (laughs) not just intrinsic to the gospel, but intrinsic to a gospel way of life. Yeah. uh, That, that really is rooted in the, in the here and the now and in the present moment of where you are. So I always tell people the best way to get your songs heard is to write a great song still. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, good advice. that's the way to get, that's the way to get your songs heard. And And, and, and what I would say, it's like, you go, well, I wrote this song and it's just as good as this other song. And I'm like, but is it just the same? Because mm-hmm. if it's just the same, but there's already another song that says the same thing, then don't say the same thing.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Like, push yourself. Um, Yeah. Worship music is not a musically driven format. It's a lyrically driven format. It's about the text. That's what makes that. That's what makes hymns so incredible. I mean, sometimes it's a great chord change. You know, it's a it's a 16th century like like chord movement or like a seven like an 18th century you know or whatever. you know, kind of corral type thing that, that makes its way. Or sometimes it's a gospel riff that like still speaks or some, someone will come up with a new variation or permutation on the same seven chords that we all use. And, and that's like a little innovation and that's great. But oftentimes more than not, the thing that really drives the music of the people of God is what are we saying? Mm -hmm. And because, because central to the church is the word. Yep. And and so it's like going back to wow. the Psalms, going back to the scriptures, going back to the prayer closet and coming out of it with that revelation of what God has said to you. That's, that's the creativity and the music comes, the music follows, the arrangements follow, the guitar riffs follow, the drum kick pattern follows. But if you don't have a great lyric, that isn't saying something new and compelling that's the difference maker i think still but i and i maybe i'm old-fashioned but and it doesn't have to be a lot of words yeah yeah
0: what you just said i think is brilliant i've actually never thought about it that way that actually what is at the root of christianity is the word and yes that is really interesting that that is why lyrics are very very important in what we're singing what we're saying to God,
1: yeah. yeah. Words matter because the word matters. Yeah, like it, right. Wow. <laughs> you know, so that's it so good. and and it's and it's in some ways like all we have is our creativity, right? That yeah. that's part of part of our human nature of how we're made in the image and likeness of God. Is He gave us the ability to create and craft mm-hmm. and music art is this central form of expression that's unique to the human experience it's patterned all throughout nature and and creation yeah um but we're the ones who can point it out we're the ones that god gave the ability to name it uh to catalog it and and then to turn around and and use it as inspiration to to craft something and um yeah i mean it's still to this day you know uh Someone will come along with a great song, and, and, it's, and the thing is, it's what it's saying. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time my oldest son, after having a bad dream, when we were getting ready, to, he was coming on a bus with me, and I taught him the chorus to No Longer Slaves. And he sang, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. And like that, it like cut right through me. <laughs> I almost get emotional just thinking about that moment. And it it's a great melody, but it's the words.
0: Wow. So we're talking about a lot of things actually that I was not planning on talking about, but this is actually really, really good. I have a question for you of, so yeah. someone like you, it's pretty, I feel like it's a given that if you're going to be writing songs, you're going to then probably be recording those songs and putting them on an album to release them. But what about someone who's not an artist? Maybe they're wanting to be an artist but they're not and they write worship songs. Is it worth them recording them and putting them out? Or is it more of like no, just write songs and then just see if your church likes it? And you know what I mean, I mean like or should yes. or is part of the work actually, you know, putting some money into it and making an album and recording it, releasing it on Spotify?
1: I think the work always is it pertains to the church. I can't speak for the rest of society or the music industry, but I do think a pattern that would be beneficial would be that primarily someone in a local church would look at their gift primarily as to serve the local church. Hmm. And not for the whole world. Every time I wrote a song, um, early on, I wasn't thinking about people in different countries, in different languages. I wasn't thinking about CCLI. I wasn't thinking about, uh, some massive church, you know, finding the chorus and wanting to rewrite the verses or, or like whatever, you know, speculative story. I was literally yeah. thinking about specific people that I knew that I played at their wedding or I played at a baptism or I played at a funeral and then someone got cancer or someone's marriage was on the rocks or someone was struggling with addiction. And, and, um, you know, Mark Hall from Casting Crown still so many, he does There a lot of their music isn't, isn't necessarily, you know, corporate worship music, but everything that he writes comes out of his experience in the local church. And I think that, uh, that it would be great for people who are starting small and they're wondering where to invest their time in their gift like i said i don't i i can't tell you what to do but spending money on a recording and all of that versus investing cuz that's you know we tie their time we tie their talents and we tie their treasure and spending on a money and recording it could be that God wants you to help support the lives of an engineer and some studio musicians. I'm not going to tell you not to do that. <laughs> yeah, but but um, but I can guarantee you that trying out your songs in the local church and letting them become the song that that body believe that it it they're able to rally around it. It won't not benefit you in the long run. Like the first project I ever made, I only made 3000 copies and I literally sold it out of the back of my car, but I made it for my church. That's who I made yeah. it for. I wasn't and it was because people were asking me to. It wasn't like I I had a laptop and I had all this technology and cuz if I did, I probably would have been tempted to do it. And because I didn't, I think the, that process of self-denial and and kind of praying and having someone speak into it. And the barometer we set was when, when, when every week after church, someone is coming up to you saying, when are you going to make a CD? It's like, then it's time. Hmm. And so we just waited. I just waited. It was like a year and a half. It was the longest two years of my life. I was trying to finish college and you know, so I, my advice, yes, to, would be to someone. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't work on recording. Find like the great thing about technology now; it's so easy. Uh, I mean, I became best friends with GarageBand and then Logic. Mm-hmm. I demo all my songs. I try to demo them like their full um, studio recordings as much as I can. I call it the George Lucas School of uh, of, of like audio yeah you know because of how he made the the star wars prequels it like i i try to to like come up with guitar riffs i try to come up with band arrangements i try you know i try to do all that stuff um as an exercise of my creativity Mm -hmm. but when it comes to worship music i still think the greatest test is you should absolutely sing it at your church and if you can't hear anyone singing yeah um i i let it speak to you yeah it's a great yeah, it's a great great it's a great barometer
0: yeah you know? that's so good it is a good test yeah. all right we are sticking on the subject of songwriting we actually have another question that came in of so is there a certain amount of time you let a song sit uh, unfinished so you know you start writing a song maybe you get like three-fourths of the way through it you can't come up with the bridge or they can't come up with the verse yeah how do you how long will you let a song like that sit before you finish
1: it. I mean I've have, I have two songs right now. Um and one of them I know when it gets done it's going to be a really, really great song, but it's it's just not done. And mm-hmm. I started it during the pandemic and I just haven't finished it. And a lot of it is trust. It's just sort of saying well that's not done yet and it's not time for it to be done. Yeah. It's you know um for whatever reason But oh, my phone was set oh, on yeah. no notifications and I got, I got a phone call. Yeah. Um, it's all good. Uh, for some reason in my music, I've, and I joke, maybe it was cause I'm Catholic. I've met a lot of winemakers and I don't drink a massive amount of alcohol or something. Yeah. Um, occasionally I'll have a glass of wine, but, um, but I love the process of winemaking because it takes time. And the best wine comes from the ground that gets really irritated and challenged by weather extremes, the soil, you know, content has to get, um, you know, uh, has to be just right. The temperature has to be just right. And I think creating is a lot like that. It's, you have to be exposed to these extremes. Wine needs stress. Yeah. Stress produces it changes the grapes. And so I think stress is an inevitable part of life. And I think particular to the creative process, sometimes you have to sit in the tension of wanting a song to be finished and also having the humility and the objectivity. You have to check your ego at the door and just say, it's not happening right now. So I'm going to walk away. And there's a million reasons why I want it to happen, but it's not happening. Yeah. And so I have to acknowledge that.
0: And I think that even goes along with the music career part of it, of just being trusting of God. Let him open the doors. Let him direct your steps. Let him. Oh, Matt, I lost you. you. Give me one second. If he wants to. You lost me. You know, if God wants to send a song around the world, let him do that.
1: Can you hold on one second? I'm so sorry. No, it's all good. Can you hear me right? I'm um, having technical difficulties here.
0: Check one, two. Can you hear me? Testing. Testing one, two. AirPods. Hey, can you hear me all right? Yeah. Okay. Me? How about now? Hey. Yeah. Isn't it funny? AirPods are a little bit glitchy sometimes. I've noticed that. <laughs> I was just saying, I think that it goes along with the whole, what we were talking about earlier, too, about just music career and just trusting God to open up the doors. If He wants to send a song around the world, let Him do that. I think it's Andy Rozier. I've heard Andy Rozier talk about just like there's just some songs that like God, like just, breathes air into and it goes all over the world you know like a song like revelation song or the blessing right like just exploded everywhere and no person could have just made that happen like it was just god's like i want that one i want the world to sing that song right now with what's happening and um i think that that it's 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 patience and trust you know, trusting that God is going to be working through you. So I think, Matt, we've taken up so much of your time already. We totally went a very different direction than I was planning on. But to close this, I'm wondering, my last question for you is related to worship leaders. We talked to a lot of worship leaders at Loop Community who, you know, they're in the trenches all week long, kind of like you were, you know, for 15 years, you're at a church. You did that for a long time. You've been doing this for a long time. Is there anything you would tell a worship leader Uh, just that would keep them going, that would uh, keep them from burnout, that would um, keep them in it for
1: the long haul? Yeah. Can you hear me okay? I'm just making sure you can hear me. it's perfect, yeah. You know, I think the thing that I would say is that so much of the creative process, I think when it comes to specifically the church um it's about learning to cultivate a heart that sees kingdom significance in small things um in insignificant in insignificance um in self uh in and um the you know so much emphasis is spent or kind of spent or focused on being in front of people. And I really do think that, um, that God's heart is always towards, I was literally having breakfast with another songwriter this morning, a friend of mine, and we were talking about how at the heart of a being a great worshiper is a heart of meekness. Hmm. And I think even as leader embodying you know, for me, wake up every day and to walk into a room and to not gravitate toward the most talented, the most successful, but to find the person who's, who's basically asking, why am I there? Um, hmm. because, because I know how that feels. and I, I think embodying that as a leader in the way that we serve our churches, in the way that we minister to our worship teams, not when we're on a platform, but when we're about to rehearse, after when we're winding cables, when we're talking to people. Um, And I'll I'll say selfishly as a songwriter, like you have no idea when the spirit of revelation is going to strike. And if you basically only look at, as my songs only come from this narrow band of living, Versus the entirety of my life, which includes the entirety of my service to my local community. You're depriving yourself and you're depriving God of opportunities to speak to you. I mean, I can't tell you how many times the songwriter somebody said or something happened in the middle of church. And it was the most unlikely time for a song to pop into my head. But it popped into my head. And the reason I think was because I was fully abandoned to the need for that. And just present to the moment, and it was that, it was that, it was the combination of abandonment and 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 meekness towards God, and and just being totally present to humbly serving. Hmm. Um, that I think God, I think you know, I think He honors, and I think it makes you more available to the Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah. That's so good, Matt. I I appreciate it. I really am thankful that you would take the time to uh, talk to all the worship leaders at Loop Community. We went a little longer than I had promised you. Um, You're totally fine. This was good stuff, man. I mean, I feel like I could just keep on going, but I, I actually really like that we kind of went this direction with songwriting, because I do think, I know there's a lot of worship leaders who are really uh, dabbling in that, interested in it. And so I just appreciate you sharing your heart and your story. And thank you for all the songs that you've given worship leaders to lead. It's awesome.
1: Can I say one more thing really quick? Yes. I I just want to say, like, I know there's a lot of people interested in songwriting right now. and, And what I would tell you is that the more you just grow in your capacity, in your heart as a worshiper, just for the gift of worshiping God, songs will come. But if you try to make your songwriting come first, um, eventually, you'll, your your well is going to run dry, and you won't understand why. And the reason is is because you put the cart before the horse. Songwriting yeah. as an overflow of a prayerful, worshipful heart. God yeah. desires. God desires not even He desires our worship. You know, there's a prayer that says, "You have no need of our worship, but our desire to praise You is it in, in and of itself a gift to us." And it's out. God knows He's trying to teach us a pattern for living. That if we live a life of worship, out of the overflow of that comes the creativity for whatever field or endeavor we're doing. Oh, I love that, Matt.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for sharing your wisdom, your heart and your songs with the church. Huge impact you're making. So thanks. Hopefully we'll get to connect again soon.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Yep. See ya. All right, you guys, really great conversation there with Matt. I got to say, I love being the host of Loop Live because I kind of see it as I get an hour of personal coaching as a worship leader songwriter. And I think it's awesome because I get to ask all sorts of questions. That I'm, at. I'm personally very curious about myself. And that was a really great conversation. A lot of really good stuff in there. Whatever it is that you're going to walk away from this conversation with, type it down in the chats, wherever you're watching this, down below on Facebook, YouTube, and uh, write down what is it that you took away from this conversation with Matt? And of course, if you have not listened to Matt's music, make sure you go check him out on Spotify, Apple Music. We also have all of the multi-tracks available for Matt's songs at Loop Community. So make sure you go to Loop Community, look up Matt's songs, grab them. He's got a new song called Leaning. Make sure you go check that out, listen to it. We didn't get to talk about that song, but make sure you go listen to it. And uh, as always, thanks for joining us at Loop Live. We'll see you soon. Hey guys, this is Matt McCoy. Thanks so much for tuning into today's podcast. We're trying to provide content that's really helpful and meaningful to you as a worship leader. So make sure you hit the subscribe button to stay tuned for more from the community.